mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling still. Gosh. And quiet. Gosh. Which is really unusual to me. But today's guest's work has made me feel very reflective and really uh, kind of still, like a still life. And... I've been looking at everything in my house with new eyes. Like I keep seeing like a candle and I don't know, like a ceramic. There's actually one here. Oh, that's and nice. Yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? It's a Giles Round ceramic. But I, I'm sort of seeing everything almost like a vignette, like a film still or something. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm. Because today's guesswork is incredibly atmospheric. I would say emotive just the most beautiful it's almost like another world it's kind of like you know like on a sunny day a bit like right now because springs happened and the sky was blue today and the sun was shining Mm. and you have those moments where you daydream and um the sunlight might be you know really kind of yellow maybe at like three in the afternoon and and it's 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 kind of this incredible light in the air that's kind of what what their work sort of conjures up whenever I see it. It kind of takes me to another place. And um, I have never actually been to the place where today's guest is is born and from, which is Fortaleza in Brazil. But their paintings, they, they initially kind of grew out of um, Brazilian northeastern culture as a kind of starting point. And their work just makes me want to go to Brazil like immediately. And I'm thinking you and I need to get on a plane at some point and we should go to Brazil and do a whole like, you know, series of episodes for artists in Brazil because these paintings are so beautiful and it just looks like the most beautiful country. But anyway, um, <laughs> we would like to welcome to Talk Art, Paula, Paula Hi, Paula. So nice to be here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, now we recently met, didn't we, actually in London? Yes, yes. What a time. Oh, my. It was so magic. Yes, it was beautiful. I had uh, the chance to see so many painters that I, I have never seen in person in the National Gallery. And that made me oh, wow. so, so happy. Yes. Oh, what were your highlights? Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> Big question. Let- <laughs> it's a whole Huge podcast. Question. Let's start with, well, I never, I never look into what I'm going to find in the museums. I like to be surprised 
but definitely the Hembrands and definitely the post-impressionism uh, group like uh, Georges Seurat and uh, uh, there, there was one Picasso that really struck me like, wow, I did not see anything like that before. Where are we talking to you today? We're talking from my house and studio. Recently, I moved my studio into my home and I am so happy to just wake up and being able to draw and, and paint and not have to take the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and is it, is, do you have a divide in the house? Like your studio is in your house, but do you walk in the studio and that's it? Or do, does work bleed into your domestic situation? It, it sort of bleeds when, when I, now I'm producing for my next solo show and I used to work into one room and the work kind of spread around and now we took all over my house and I, I, I let it happen. I just let it happen. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, so we're talking to you from Brazil and you're in Fortaleza where you were born and you've stayed there. Yes. I moved to Rio to study painting. I lived four oh, years right. in Rio de Janeiro and I moved back in the pandemic. Right. And what is the scene like there, like when it comes to culture and art? Um, because, you know, me and Rob were saying we've never been there and we can, we've seen it on Google and we know there's lots of artists from there. But what is it, what is it like growing up there? What did you have access to? Since I was a kid, my mom used to take me to a very special museum called Dragon du Mar. It makes reference to a man which was responsible for the transportation of slaves. And he, was, and he said, I won't do that anymore. He stand against it. And the museum has his name. And it's a beautiful homage to him. Uh, and we used to have all sorts of shows regarding uh, folk art in there. So since I was a little kid, I remember I used to see lots of objects made from from uh, lacing and like ceramics and wooden sculptures. I have this really old memory of going there on Sundays and we would have paper and paint for free and all the kids would come and just paint and draw all Sunday afternoon. And those were my favorites of all time. And this were, th these things that you saw then as a kid have remained in your practice. People coming to your works will see a lot of objects, the, the still life. You talked about uh, embroidery. You talked about uh, uh, clay. Um, these things have stayed with you. That's, that's a real impact that it's had on your practice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think the, the thing that strikes me most is the the simplicity of the form that the sculptures and the also the woodcuts are a really strong thing in my in my state we have not only in fortaleza but at the countryside you will have lots of woodcut uh, engravers artists and you you really get this sort of very um, synthetic form because of the light and the shade and and 
and be, and in the ceramics because they are made of clay you will have this really soft passage of the light to to the shadows and i think it really stayed with me is this is this north northeastern culture then brazilian northeastern culture do these objects form part of that and what exactly is brazilian northeastern culture yeah it's a really uh tough question because at the same time we know there's there's this northeastern culture and it's really uh popularly linked to humor people here are really they laugh they laugh and they tell jokes <laughs> all the time and this is amazing but we have such a strong uh culture of having manifestations of music and dance in, in the everyday life and all every state is different so it's at the same time you may say there's this northeastern culture but at the same time each place has so many specific things like dances that will only exist in uh Rio Grande do Norte for example which is a state nearby Ceará and uh, you have the colored sand bottles, for example, which is something I've been researching for the last two years uh, that is really specific from two villages in the in the border between Sierra and Rio Grande do Norte. So it's it's uh, kind of a gathering of so a, a huge universe of manifestations. And that's so beautiful. Wonderful. How important is time for you? Because I you know, thinking of all those different locations got me kind of thinking about time as well, because for me, they're, they're almost like timeless, like they could kind of be all different kinds of time periods or or are they very specifically to your everyday, like, you know, now? Because or are they more like memories of the past? Yeah, time plays a funny role in my work. I think, first of all, um, to me, painting is about not dying. Painting is keeping on living it's making a choice of uh there's an image which is right in front of me and it's a chrysalide it's i don't know maybe i don't know the exact word it's like you crystal time you make time uh stop and you can stare at it and this is the first thing and when i'm thinking about the tradition of painting which is really uh European and in the way I was educated, we were looking into oil paintings a lot and European artists. Uh, there's not only position of this kind of tradition and time, but there's a beauty on the way uh, you can represent the world through a bi-dimensional uh, flat surface. It's like to me this act of stopping, stopping everything. That's the main uh, present, uh, the main gift that a painter can give to the world is like making everything stop and not dying. I think it starts there to me. That's beautiful. And that's what you want your audience to take away from your work when they stand in front of your work. They want, you want them to stop and pause and have a moment and time to stand still for them. Yeah, I think that's the first part. I think that's where everything starts. And I was, I, I, I was so lucky to be at uh, Bologna in Italy uh, after we were in the, in the show in London. I went to Italy and I went to Bologna just to see the Morandi, 
<laughs> and it was a funny story because I went to see uh, not only the museum with the Morandis, but I I really wanted to see how his house looked like. And then oh, it wow. was, I didn't know, but it was closed. And then I saw on Google Maps, oh no, I came all the way here and it was closed. Never mind, I'll just walk there and I'll look into it. And it was beautiful and the most nice time ever. But going back to the museum with all the Morandis, uh, Morandi has a kind of similar procedurement, procedurement as I do in sort of stopping time. And But the image that goes on my head, it's another image. So let me, let me try to say this. When I look into a landscape by Morandi, there's another image that takes me back to my childhood, to my first home, to my oldest memories, and it makes kind of a duo with the image on the painting. So the spectator is invited to, at first, stop, stop everything, mute your mind, uh, stop thinking about words and concepts, and just for a second, and go back to, to whatever you want. Uh, let let it wander, and but that's a territory where no words are spoken. Yeah, it's like a truly imaginative kind of time travel. Daydreaming. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's yeah. yes. really beautiful. Nostalgia and daydreaming, and yeah, you see, so you're talking about Giorgio Mirandi. There was the artist when we say Mirandi, and I, I, I like would like to call you the Brazilian Mirandi because I feel like you embody the energy where he has the domestic and the mundane and these objects that we live around, but you give a real um, dignity uh, and beauty and you give them, someone's reviewed you as saying that your paintings have poise and noiseless importance. You add importance to these domestic objects and they become these beautiful things, much like Mirandi. That's something that is incredibly unique to you that but also you're channeling art history right yes oh my i think i could die today uh, after being called the brazilian morandi <laughs> <laughs> no i have a lot of work to do i'm not dying today <laughs> but uh i feel that even though i do not paint only still lives i remember this phrase that my painting teacher would always tell us about Hambran and you would say that Hambran once said, uh, everything I painted was portraits. I only painted portraits, even though he painted some landscapes and war scenes or anyways. Uh, the act of portraying is something that is uh, beyond the theme of the painting. And even though these two lives, okay, you, you can see lots of similarities with not only Morandi, but Brazilian uh, painters from modernism. Uh, I do also paint uh, portraits of people and landscapes. And I feel that the same uh, kind of dusty and timelessness uh, sort of perception of life is there. Too, in the landscapes, in the landscapes of, of the dunes and the sea and the still coconut trees. I think it's all about the same thing, which is, which I don't know what that is, by the way. <laughs> but it's autobiographical, right? Your work is very 
personal? Yes. Uh, yes, I think all, every work is personal, but I understand that my work comes from the things that surround me in a very immediate way. I work with objects I have at home. I work with the landscapes I see when I travel. I paint people I encounter on the street. I paint uh, my people from my family. Uh, I'm always making them uh, portraits of them, of my aunt and my dad and my mother. So uh, because I feel that in order to make a work that, that uh, echoes in another person, it first has to be profoundly personal. And you have to be really vulnerable in the moment of creation in order to... Another person who never saw anything quite like the landscapes from where I come from, even though they can identify somehow. And it's act, act to me, I understand, not as an act of identity only, but as an act of empathy. Empathy is about going out of yourself and seeing something that it's not from your own life and still feeling uh, a kind of uh, connection. And, and everyone is bounded and and together in this thing we call painting and art yeah 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 that's really interesting you know I've been thinking a lot recently about what we all as individuals choose to pay attention to and how um there are all these different factors as a human being in life so you might have you know social circumstances that of a society that you grew up in political context and also you know monetary kind of obligations to like having to get a job in order to survive and feed your family to eat all those kind of practical things but I'm really fascinated by each person's choice and, and what they choose in a way for their life to pay attention to and your work in particular like I just love all these different places these different people these different like even the apple on a table with a knife how you choose to stop and pay attention to that because by doing so you wake up the people seeing your paintings, as in me, and you kind of help us to see our realities differently. Um, and there was one painting in particular that I really wanted to ask you about, because there were so many moments in this one work that I felt like you'd paid attention to numerous different um, sort of uh, objects and also to a person. And it's from 2021, and it's called um, O Antiquario. I probably said it wrong, but um, no, it's a really it's beautiful great. kind of mise-en-scene almost. It's got all these different elements and we'll, we'll post a picture of it. But can you tell me who that person is? Because to me, it feels like some kind of mother or grandmother or or I don't know who the figure is. Maybe it's even someone in a shop. I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, it's such a great question because it, it is such a funny story. I was in Bruges in Belgium for my first ever art residency and I lived there for three months and at the same street there was this uh, antiquarium I don't know if I'm saying that correctly but it's this, this shop with really old things and it really strikes my heart every time I'm so in love with flea markets and seeing all those things that once belonged to somebody that you don't know who that is anyway I'm very struck by, struck by that. And so I was seeing the things from the facade, with, from the glass, and uh, I really wanted to go inside. And there was this lady. Uh, she, she has this heavy presence because she was full of uh, 
she had a necklace and uh, a very beautiful kind of coat or dress. And I asked her if I could come in and she told me, are you going to buy something? And I answered, I don't know. I would like to see first. And so maybe I could. And said, no, so you're not coming in. And then she just left me outside looking. I was like, okay, I'm painting you anyway. And then I photographed <laughs> the shop. And she had a dog on her table. She had this small dog on the table that I could not believe. And it felt like a Jan van Eyck. Uh, sort of setting right I need to paint this and she will never know because she was so rude (laughs) even the candlestick I love the candlestick and like um and there's also a kind of beautiful almost like tapestry or something in the background and the, the 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 print on her dress it's all so well kind of documented but also it's got its own kind of imaginative life somehow it's yes and the thing that gets me about the antiquaries that you it's a place where you will find all sorts of different items from all sorts, all sorts of different religions all together in a sort of poetic uh, setting. Because you, And that's what I, I wanted to do in the painting. I think I did. Uh, with an uh, angel with these pointy wings. And by the side, you will see a naked woman. <laughs> and I love this encounter between non-related things that will, would only be together in an antiquarian or a place like that. Yeah, I, I think antique dealers as well, um, which is, I think, how we describe them in, in England anyway. An antique shop. Yeah, yeah. like an antique shop. Um, but they're so... Um, they, they must have so many people who just go in and don't buy. And I think, it, especially with Instagram culture these days, I, th- I remember there's a guy actually in Margate who deals in, in antiques and he he actually has a sign outside that says no photography. And he gets really angry if anyone even tries to take a picture because I think, you know, people probably go home and start looking on the internet instead of buying from him. <laughs> yes, but yeah, they, they need to understand they have the world on their hands. People want to see it. Don't cover it. Let people see it. It's a gift so to true. other people. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like doing a, a residency in, in Bruges? How long was you there for and how did that come about? I was there for three months and I must say uh, it was hard because of the pandemic. I was there in 2021. The things were still going on. But uh, I'm a crazy person who says yes to everything that is new to me and I want to discover new things so I went there and it's really different from where I come from Uh, the weather and the things you would find in town and to me Brazil it's like it has this mysterious setting of of the city you never know what you're going to find and Bruges everything is so on their uh, perfect place you see swans in the lakes and you see you know uh people with waffles and I was like what am I going to do with this <laughs> so I <laughs> I started looking for the things nobody was looking for for example the all the facades of the homes and the corners of the churches would have these uh sculptures of angels and Mary and Jesus all the time and they were kind of synthetic reminding me of the sculptures we spoke uh, in the beginning that are made in my homeland. So I started to look to bas reliefs, which are th- those cultures that look like painting and they're like halfway. And that's where I came uh, to do the uh, couple asleep, which is a kind of 
uh, bas relief painting because I was looking for this visuality and I've made some drawings that resembled uh, embroidery, but they were drawings. So I was looking for this doubleness of uh, image. It's really interesting that you can be in like a new country, a new city, a new town, and then within that place, you can find commonalities or things that awaken in yourself that remind you of your own like home or something meaningful to you. It's really beautiful because I guess the things that the people who were living there were just like ignoring and walking past, but you've sort of spotlighted those things that are so much part of the fabric of their, you know, buildings and stuff. That's such a wonderful thing. Yes, I feel I'm not a world traveler. I don't like traveling that much. I love my oh, really? home. Yes, I, I read that in the Bell Hooks book. And yes. when I discovered that Bell Hooks said that, I was like, so relieved because I'm not the <laughs> only one. <laughs> yeah. But, well, I need to travel. And I learned how to do this thing of uh, seeing a familiarity in the unfamiliar. I have my best friend is a psychoanalyst and we are always talking about these terms of familiarity and the unfamiliar, how uh, that builds what we understand as our own personality and as a, as a full person. And in Bruges, I discovered, for example, they do the same kind of lacing that they do in my homeland. And probably no because we had in the 17th century colonization by the Dutch and right. and Bruges is really close to Holland and so it, it was amazing to see the same thing and then uh, this sort of surprise I would get and bring to the studio and do something with it. Well, in, in, in a way, though, your paintings can travel for you. What, what you need to do is send out the paintings. <laughs> they can be the world travellers and then yes. people can come to you. You can be like, if you want to see me, come to my studio. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, that's marvellous. That's wonderful. Please do travel for me. Not to Japan, though. I want to be in person in Japan. Fair. That's a very fair point. Yeah, but that's the I only point. We'll come with you when yeah. you go to Japan. Please, please do. So I was I was looking up uh, the state that you live in, the state of Sierra, which is one of the 26 states of Brazil. It's uh, located in the Northeast region on the Atlantic coast. It's the eighth largest state. And I did a Google image and then I've seen where the tonality, where the colors that you choose for the palette of your paintings comes from, because suddenly there's all these dramatic red cliffs that are coastal, there's the terracottas, there's pink sand, there's these orange skies. Suddenly when I can see the whole world in your paintings from seeing the location where you're from, it blew my mind. That that must be you are finding everything, like every all these objects, but also the the colours that you choose for your palette. Yeah, it's really funny when you see European painting and I and then I came back like two weeks ago from London and Italy. And I was uh, blind for the first hours because of the sun. Like I was, oh my God, I cannot, uh, let me just be in the dark room because the sun is so heavy and the colors change completely. The sky is always blue. It's like uh, turquoise blue. And I love uh, mystery and the, the mystery, the kind of mystery that you can see like in a, 
in the painting that is not all super colorful. So my work is to uh, trying to find this, get this impression of a light which is very heavy and strong and hard, and you have this really uh, dark uh, shadows from people passing on the street and so on, and talk about it in a way of uh, creating a vocabulary that it's built from the things I have up front that I have in my in my block and in like a, in a two hour drive I will find these high clips and it just uh, gets me for its beauty and the and the passage of color which is so soft and I would like to just talk about it like I can I, I feel I'm a bit uh, a boring person because I only talk about the same things I'm with my friends I'm all the time like did you see this and then I show a picture of a beach did you how beautiful <laughs> I'm so monothematic and at the same time I like to uh, wander around with all the themes I might get from where I come from and now I'm producing like landscapes and portraits and still lives and a party with people dancing you know, there's a, th a theme in, in art, like a motif that often appears in different artists' work, which is uh, paintings of the sun, either when it's rising or a sunset, um, often sunsets, actually. And there was one um, that you did a few years ago called um, Crepusculo. I don't know how to say that. It's, a, say the, that? it's the Crepusculo do Sul. Exactly. So what, what does that mean in English, Chris? Uh, it's a twilight. Oh, Twilight. Okay. Mm. Because yes. that painting, um, it, it, it's so like other to me, like it, even though it's a sun setting or, um, yeah, I think setting or rising, it just felt so different. And I was thinking, it got me thinking about Etel Adnan, who, who I saw a show of in Beirut years ago. And um, I feel like Etel's work was very specific to kind of Lebanon and, um, and also to France as well, I think she lived there too but there's definitely something about the light and in your work it's so singular so even like even though it's something so repeated it felt totally brand new when I saw that work can you tell me about that particular one so twilight yes this this painting comes from this uh it's not a series but it's a moment a moment that is still developing uh that comes from the colored sand bottles and those objects are really mysterious because they, uh, they have these really complex landscapes that are built into glass bottles. And people do with a high stick, with a big stick, and they pour the sand inside and they draw with an iron stick or something like that. And I, I was crazy about those objects when I was a kid. And then I traveled... Uh, to see them like two years ago and it just blew my mind because it looked like all my favorite paintings from the post-impressionism as well but they never knew about these guys right uh, they and they don't know Felix Vallotton for example but they have the visual ability that is so striking and I started to uh, collect some bottles and look at them and the main element to me is a verticality of the, because they are bottles, right? And they're taller than wider. So you have a landscape that develops from bottom to top. You see all the elements that, uh, that are related to the life of somebody that lives in the, in the uh, coast. 
and you have the homes, you have the cliffs, you have the sea, and then you have the sun. And the sun is this main character. It is like it rules everything. And for each moment of the day, the artists of the colored bottles, colored sand bottles, they have a system. So you cannot put a boat in whatever you like. If the sun is setting, the boats are coming back. So the boat is near the cliff. So they have this vocabulary, a kind of Egyptian way of, yeah, their their rules. And I started working from that, thinking, how can I get something uh, from this to painting? What new possibilities I will have? That's so cool. So that's essentially like a folk art, a kind of handicraft, like the, the, you know, crafts people would make in a sense, or or I guess they're artists, but out of sand in a bottle. I love that. It's so romantic. So is there a museum you go to? Is there a location where these are all being made? Where was it? No, there's nothing. They live in a completely abandonment uh, from government. Uh, I don't even know if their art is recognized as a local heritage. And my, my goal is to... Uh, well, gather money from people who are just interested as me and build a local museum in their city or maybe in Fortaleza that will gather the story around. This project was, this project was founded by a woman uh, named Joana Carneiro, and this story is beautiful because it's a mythical story. Uh, they tell that she was uh, on top of a dune and she was filling the bottles with sand making these abstract patterns. And then the bottle dropped and the sand just got off. And the moment it uh, lays down, it creates a landscape. And for the first time, she has a, I, I have goosebumps just for saying that, because it's so beautiful. And then she taught everyone who uh, knows how to do it and it passes from generation to another. And it's such a special thing from my state and from a neighbor state and you don't have a museum for that. That's how Brazil uh, works. But we are hopeful that things will always get better, always get better. How many bottles do you have yourself? <laughs> Maybe 40 or 50. No <gasps> way. So it's a <laughs> yes. whole collection. Yes, I collect books and publications on that. I recently found out that one of our major writers called Raquel de Queiroz, uh, she wrote a whole uh, paper, a presentation for a book, and it's so beautiful. She she calls these bottles live uh, live bottles. You cannot break them down because they are alive. They cannot die. Keep them safe. It the the words are so beautiful. Yet no one knows the story. That's why I'm doing my masters on it now. <laughs> oh, that's so are you? cool! Wow. Yes. Yes. It's also intergenerational, isn't it? So it's a kind of generation thing that the elders pass on to youngers, you exactly. know, y- younger artists, and then it creates this kind of traditional um, creativity. Yeah, and it, yeah. It, the idea is it never stops. It's also quite profound because of the sands of time, in a sense. You know what I mean? Yes, like, of course. And and, and and the earth, you know, it's it comes from the ground. It's like clay. It's a, it's yeah. a rhetorical uh, beauty, isn't it? Because the bottles represent uh, cliffs and they are made of sand and they are put in a recipient which is solidified sand basically which is glass so you are always talking about dust and sand and i am a dust lover right the way i prepare my canvases 
Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's supposed to uh, grab all this paint and looks like it's rough and and uh, and sandy that's why i'm so interested i guess what is the process of your painting and also the scale you choose is very domesticated we have a lot of cropped images of of still lifes of objects why is your scale quite small i'm yet to see a really big work by you wow i don't know i don't know it just it feels right uh, to me. It's, I think it has a kind of intimacy that only the small works uh, do have. And to me, to, I'm quite, I'm, I think I'm quite a modest person in terms of if I really want you to see a huge painting, the composition has to beg me for it. Uh, I, I'm now I'm doing a couple of big works now for the next show, and it's a composition I first painted really small, and I felt okay, this is a big baby. <laughs> it will ask for <laughs> one meter uh, canvas, and it's okay because that's his will. But normally, I, I it's almost as if as if I wanted to hug, as if I, I felt I feel like I need to be able to hug the the image like. Get really close and look and look in and and as a, as if I'm looking to a flower, as if I'm looking to a a really small thing. I really like this attitude of coming closer. It's also the the intensity of the mark making, I think, and the atmosphere that's charged in each of your works because they really are charged. The 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 use of light, like the way you do that. How, how long does it take to make? say a small painting like I, I've been quite fascinated by it because in the Grimm Gallery group show that Russell curated in London the work there was so beautiful and it, mm. I just kept coming back to it and there's just something about it it's a very simple you know still life um, with a light and it's all it's, it's quite simple in a way but there it's was very just traditional isn't it but yeah, yeah but then there's something totally like a light layer this yeah. kind of like this kind of luminosity which seems totally. to come through which is which must be your process. But how long does that take to even create uh, that? Oh, that's such a hard question for me because I don't... Uh, sometimes paintings will... For example, this one, I remember I started out and I had... A, I remember I had a hard time with the flowers because I wanted the flowers to glow from inside to outside. And I kept coming back. So it took... I think it took me months to finish that painting. And sometimes, wow. sometimes, not always, but I will sit 
And if I have a good uh, preliminary study for a landscape, for example, that would take, take me two days, two whole days to finish. So it's a really, uh, each painting has its own time. And it's, it gives me a hard time. To, uh, but in exchange, it's such a beautiful uh, thing because uh, it, it's really like each of them has its own uh, way of existing in the world, like a person, like, like something that is alive. That, to me, it's really important to work. Uh, I remember that's also another thing that my, my teacher used to tell us. His name is Nelson, and I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but I want him to know that I'm so grateful for everything he taught us because he, uh, he's a really bookworm, <laughs> and he would bring these really old uh, quotations from, for example, Eisenstein, the Russian filmmaker, Eisenstein said something that I never forget, never forgot, uh, which was like the work of art must contain contradiction on itself. You can never paint, in my interpretation, you cannot ever paint just one sunny day, which is 100% sunny. It has to have a sort of uh, cloudiness and a sort of raininess to it, even though it's not rain. The, thing, how, uh, the things are uh, not uh, just one thing, aren't they, in life? They're very contradictory. And that's how you make a live, a, a, a really uh, joyful uh, process of creating art. That's really interesting because the work that was in London had obviously this this flower in a in a in a pot, but it also had a book like open pages. And to me, the open pages felt almost like turbulent or sadder or something. There was like the hope from the flower, but there was this real intensity to the open book, like or the I don't know if it's actually got writing on it, but it's it, it, it's really interesting the relation between those two objects. Yes, I think what maybe what you're trying to say is. Uh, no, I don't think that was what you're trying to say, but that's how I understand it. Things are <laughs> never completely happy or completely sad. Beautiful things in life, they are both. When I, I, I have this playlist that I listen to when I'm painting, which is called My uh, Sad Classical Music. <laughs> and I listen to it a lot, and it goes from Chopin to Brahms, and uh, there's this piece by... Borodin, which is the most sad music, the most sad song I've ever heard. It makes me joyful when I hear it. How can you explain it? Things are not, uh, things are really contradictory. And I, I, I like to bring that to painting. So it's a flower in a book and an absence. You don't know what's going on there. And it's beautiful, but it's sort of mysterious at the same time. Mm. Do you always sketch before every painting? You were saying if you had like the landscape then and you had studies, you could work quicker. Is that something that you make before every painting? I do most of the times. Uh, whether it's a sketch, whether it's a color study, I always do have a sort of uh, before moment uh, because I, it, in the painting uh, I like to work with lots of layers and layers and layers of color it's hard to go back 
you can only go forward. That's something my painting teaches me. You can only go forward. So I do, uh, what I have is lots of uh, sketchbooks and I draw the first image when it goes to my head. And from that, I will uh, develop uh, a kind of gray uh, scale study, which gives me the ground for working with color. And that's re a really important moment because you're playing with shadow and light. You're playing with mystery and clarity. And that's like, to me, 80% of a painting. And you show these drawings as well, don't you, as well as paintings? There's something, or do you make only drawings that we see are ones that you've made especially yes, to be seen? Yes, I never right. show the, the studies. I think there's such an intimate part, and they if, if I'm going to show them, they have to be in a very special setting. Uh, so when I produce drawings, the drawing is the final work, just as a painting. Got it. We were just, so we were just talking about that painting called Desk, uh, with book and vase of flowers, which was from 2021, which was in the show that I curated at Grimm Gallery, which thank you so much for being a part of. I was so proud when you said yes, and then you gave us this painting to show. It's phenomenal. But it got me thinking about uh, all your titles, and all your titles are in Portuguese, but I've done some translations, and they're all very matter-of-fact. We had ones like Still Life with Earthenware and Agate Dish, and it's a still life with a dish. Sleeping Couple, well, it's a couple sleeping. Two pears and a fruit bowl. Well, you can guess what it is. It's two <laughs> pears and a fruit bowl. They're very matter of fact, these titles. Why is that, that they're just quite telling us what we're seeing? Why is there no sort of romantic, like, uh, poetry to it? They're very much on the nose and obvious of what we're looking at. Uh, I'll tell you a story about maybe my favorite book, which is... Uh, Zorba o Grego. I don't know how it's called in English, but it's like Zorbas, uh, the Greek. You have the movie for that. And Zorbas is a man of the people, and he met a poet, which is sort of lost in his life, and traveled to Crete in Greece. And the poet, every time he looks into this landscape of the sea, he, he kind of asks himself, what is this landscape telling me? And Zorba is there to tell him, it's just a landscape, yet it is a landscape. The titles are all the time referring to the things themselves because the magic is at the things themselves. There's no other thing to that. They're there and, and uh, you, you just need to <laughs> see them. I don't know if I'm being clear enough. It's, you just have to see that it's so obvious, right? But you'd yeah. rather, yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's obvious. But I, I mean, I love that about it. This feels something quite funny about it. That it's basically saying like, this is what you're looking at, guys. But it, it, you're saying obviously the image is enough. But because you could have titled them all untitled if the image was enough. But there's just something very plain about telling us what we're <laughs> looking at, and I love that. Yes, at, after all, you have to put a title. Imagine if all my works were untitled, that would be a mess. So I just describe and I won't. And of course, there's something more to that. When I say you need to look at this apple, of course, as I told when I was in the Morandi Museum, you get this all these other images as if I'm listening to Ehik Satie, one of my favorite classical composers. He has this uh, beautiful 
piano uh, pieces. And that would take me, there's one of them that always takes me to this garden outside with people having coffee. I don't know how to explain that. It just takes me there. I imagine this, people sitting under a tree. And of course, when you look into an object, you are taken to another object. That's a, uh, that's a quote from Magritte. Every object hides another one. But uh, right. it's important to uh, get back to that first moment of, okay, spectator, I'm not telling you any more from that. Yeah. Deal with it. The thing it. is, you, you did... Um... <laughs> In, in in one of the exhibitions you did with Mendez Wood, the exhibition text that came with the show um, had a really beautiful bit of poetry and writing, kind of prose, writ written by somebody else. And I really liked that invitation for somebody to kind of, you know, make poetry surrounding the exhibition. It was something, I, I thought that in itself was a kind of invitation to anyone visiting to sort of create their own story. Yes, I, I received uh, an email from a Brazilian, uh, which uh, he said to me, uh, hey, I wrote something about your work uh, and I would oh. love you to read it. And I was so happy and I said, wow, great. And I thought he would, he was like a student of his story, history of art and he would write an article. No, he wrote a story. He wrote a story like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, something about a family with... Uh, with uh, daily life objects. And that was even better. <laughs> that was so beautiful. I was so grateful. That's what I, that's what uh, paint, my painting should do, actually. I was yeah. so happy with that. I love them. It's like an exchange, a conversation with the viewer. It's not, it's not one-sided. It's like a, a, dialogue, a sentence yeah. that's, yeah, like a conversation. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. And, uh, and uh, the fact that one image can generate thousands of images. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's why painting is not dying. You see, the painting is about keep on living and it multiplies. It's so beautiful. In, in terms of keeping on living, do you see painting then as a survival? Like, is it something necessary for you, for happiness, for contentment, for, or, or, is, it, or is it different to that? <sighs> it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's my work, and it it has a different aspect when it's your work. But uh, sometimes I just I don't want to paint. I want to rest. But then when I rest, and it's not much, uh, just a couple of days, I'm like I cannot take this anymore. I need to go back. I need to. Uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, special relation. It's different with music. I do play the flute, or I at least I try the transversal flute and it's a pleasure thing but painting yeah yeah i need this to survive it's true i need this i don't i cannot imagine life without it and not 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 only the act of painting but looking at paintings looking at paintings i cried so much when i when i saw my favorite painters in person how do you feel about your work getting out there for collectors and going to museums you're with mendez wood there uh they're in sao paulo but they're also in brussels they're in new york so you have a very international collector base you have a lot of people that are really you know there's so many people fighting over your painting that's in the grim show Russell. i mean what does that <laughs> what is that what it's true what does that what, how, how do you cope with the demand of that and knowing that 
you know, the paintings are all around the world. And is that something you consider or you have to forget about? First of all, I feel really um, lucky. Uh, this possibility of living from what I do was never something uh, I I imagined uh, coming true because uh, from the city where I come from, we don't have that uh, art scene that São Paulo does and Rio de Janeiro does. So to me, that was a really nice surprise. And what I try to do is I try to honor and be kind to what life gave me. And I work hard. I work a lot. But I do not uh, tend to rush uh, because I just, I simply cannot. So, well, I'm, I'm glad that there's this... Uh, nice, uh, you know, situation going on about my work and people are interested. And I think my reaction is of joy and contentment and feeling lucky and I want to keep on doing this. Uh, I cannot imagine uh, doing another another thing. Maybe movies one day. Main sculpture. <laughs> never, 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 <laughs> uh, never not painting. Interesting, yeah, because storytelling I think is such a big, a big part. Yes. Um, do you do do you see the paintings as like a whole, like as in like are they all related to each other, or do you see them as very individual moments? Because obviously it's your life, so it is a, a, yeah. a someone's perspective. But when I'm preparing for a show, I really like to put them side by side and look at them as a group, and. Uh, to see how they do talk to each other, uh, not only for the visual elements, but also uh, uh, the themes. And then I find some coincidences and then I put the, the paintings together. But uh, I work, each, each painting is really uh, one painting, really special. And I do lots of different things. Lots of different uh, ways of approaching. I don't like to repeat myself and become this character, you know, and then people can imagine what are you going to do next. And then people uh, grab an eye on your work and say, oh, that's Paula. I'm not looking for that. I, I'm not interested in becoming a, a still character at all. Uh, I am a living uh, thing of, cre of creation. So uh, yeah. if I'm, for example, when I came back from Europe, I was super interested on testing uh, the velaturas, the thing of, of covering uh, the color with this really oily uh, layer, which is the, the Dutch painting. That's what Van Eyck does all the time, right? This transparent layers of color. And, and then I tried it. And then maybe it's going to my next solo show and... That's it's. I'm 24. I want to experiment. I don't want to, uh, you know, play a role. Is there anything you you won't paint? Because I I, I can't picture any mobile phones, any like uh, screens in any of the work. It all feels very pre-internet, like modernist, post-war. Is there things that we will never see in a Palacio painting? Yes, there are. I hate phones. Oh my god, I hate phones. One day, I won't have a phone. I have Instagram because I need to. I just look into that one time a week. 
and I solved it all and then I put it back. Uh, once, uh, when I was in Bruges, for example, I do not have a WhatsApp. People would email me. I hate phones. And uh, that's, that's just something personal. I think I was born in the latest years of uh, bare technology. And I remember how it was to live like that. Uh, I, I had a, when I had a computer, I used it just to play games and to try all the fonts in the word. Like all the typographies, I tried them all. <laughs> and when I was uh, 20, uh, before I lived by painting, I thought I would become a, a letter uh, painter because I love letters. So, the, yes. Uh, and you would I, design fonts. You yes, would like, I would design like new, fonts. Wow. Yes. And then wow. I tried them with all the colors. I knew all the colors names when I was like seven, six. I don't know. But... Technology, I think uh, it has, I don't know, I think we are still figuring it out. It's not an element of intimacy yet. People hate uh, it in, in a bit. So it's not an, it's not an object that you look and you feel this uh, sort of nostalgia already. Uh, you, you can you understand? I don't know if I'm being uh, clear enough, but it's about, I can only paint one object when it brings me memories a phone will not bring any memory for people now because it's so it's such a new thing and computers as well and and most importantly they are ugly why am i going to paint uh something that is not meant to be beautiful they they are just a dull and and gray and yeah. But also they, they um, replace people's memories because Google searches means that people don't use their brains anymore to remember <laughs> anything. <laughs> it's not something that makes me happy. Well, the antithesis <laughs> no. to that then, what is your favorite object? Which object brings you most joy and happiness that you go back to as a motif again and again and again? I think I could spend my life painting jars. 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 Yes, jars. I think a jar is a very feminine object. It has a beak. It also has an ear. It has a body that reminds of a woman's body. And it's to me, it's such a maternal object. And you have all sorts of jars and all sorts of forms and all sorts of materials. And to me, it's a, I love this author called Gaston Bachelard. And he has this book called Poetics of Space, in which he's going to daydream about day-to-day uh, -day objects, which is also my work, but he does that with words. And he's also talking about the hidden uh, meaning of objects. And to me, a jar is an object that has never an end to a daydream. I could daydream forever about that. Me and Rob love like a cream jug we love a jug that you put yeah we love you know, vessels. the handle and the ve we, and we do we, we we're collect obsessed ceramics with vessels. and vessels yeah, yeah yeah for sure um I, I also am obsessed by the way with the painting that's behind you the orange lampshade it looks like an orange lampshade oh my god that looks like ah uh, what a great this work. is my what is that a desk this is my desk it's right there wow. in my front it's my oh, small library that. in my home and it's a dark blue library and i spent uh, in the last year, I spent days and days when I was in vacation reading there with this red locker uh, bureau, and it's my favorite place in my home. And it because it has this intimacy of 
all your favorite objects are there. Like you, you don't even notice, and then you bring things with you. So I have a toy there with me, and I have a globe, and I have my favorite lamp and my favorite books. And you do when you do not notice it, you have a still life in front of you. And and a self portrait. I mean, that's very much an intimate portrait yes. of you, isn't it? Yes. Everything is a everything is a bit of a of a self portrait, right? Before we, bef- yes, but before we get on to our final questions, can you quickly speak a bit more about your relationship with music? Because I'm really fascinated to think about how music aligns or, uh, you know, lines up with, with your painting and whether you see, you know, like you, you talk a lot about classical music. And if you think about classical music, there's often like you've got the strings, you might have the cello, you might have flutes, you might have drums, percussion. I feel like in your work, the more I'm doing this episode with you, I started to think, does that play into the way you make paintings? I don't know. Oh, my, I don't know. I grew up in a very musical uh, home. My dad used to play all sorts of instruments and we used to sing together a lot. He was a uh, maniac, and he would say to me, okay, so now you're doing Paul and I'm doing John. And my brother would do George, which was the hardest one. And we would sing together. And this sort of uh, experience really, really goes with you. So uh, to me, music is a, is a kind of a shelter when I'm tired of painting or reading, doing anything. I would just go there and I'll lay on the floor, which was something me and my dad used to do. Like he would put this immense fabric on the floor, take all the furniture and say, okay, now let's listen to the dark side of the moon or something like that. And uh, we would just lay down and listen. But nowadays I'm so into Simon Garfunkel. My friends are already like, you have to stop listening to it. You need to listen to something else. (laughs) And because of the harmony of the voices, I think. It's so familiar to me. And I get images from music a lot. The, the, the apple with the blue silk and the knife from the painting you mentioned earlier. That comes from a Caetano Veloso lyric. Uh, he's a major musician in Brazil. And he sings uh, something about this paper that protects the, the apple. And it's so beautiful. I thought, I need to paint that. So that's really frequent to me. Wow, that, that's a phenomenon, isn't it? It's like synesthesia. Yes. I think they call it, yeah. Where like one sense encourages another sense. Yeah, I feel, I feel that that happens more a bit uh, with uh, <laughs> psychedelia from the 70s, like Pink Floyd would take me there. But uh, Simon Garfunkel, when he says like, uh, wish I was an English muffin, about to make the most out of a toaster. This just brings me for my afternoons with my mom, uh, make, baking uh, and, and making a cake. Uh, he wants to be a muffin to get the most out of a toaster. This is a very poetical image. I could draw something from that. So uh, the folk, folk music and Brazilian popular music really is this place for me of research at the same time of gathering That's small images. So it kind of, yes. Kind of unlocks your creativity. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm really glad I asked that. Cool. Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing answer. I want to be a muffin as well. 
Um, <laughs> I think I am one. You are currently. definitely. Amber. You're a crumpet. Um, yeah. I would. Uh, so we're, we're going to get to our final questions, but just before we do as well, Amadeo Luciano Lorenzato is a, a, a really world famous uh, Brazilian artist whose estate now is represented by David Werner. This is an artist that you would have grown up knowing and you've had a few people said that you've been inspired by his practice is he someone that's quite important to you and would you have been taught him in Rio de Janeiro at school yes uh my painting teacher presented Lorenzato to us way before he he became famous uh unfortunately long after he was uh died long after he died uh, because he, I don't think he ha- he had any big recognition uh, when he was alive. Some important stuff, uh, but not in that scale. But he, at the first moment I saw his, I saw his work, I was out of words. I never saw anything like that in terms of a painting that is at the same time abstract and figurative and profoundly poetic profoundly poetic with the uh, he creates these shapes that you cannot tell the name i remember a painting with high uh, lamp lights lamp uh, and and this shape that you don't know what that is if that's a cloud maybe if that's a light coming out from the lamp lamp uh, it looks like a tree and it it's in the middle way between figurative and abstraction it's so beautiful and I'm looking to him uh, from time to time. Wow. Well, he was he was born in 1900. He died in 1995. And that's quite a, a life to live. And a, sad he wasn't recognized his lifetime, but his work is definitely having a huge impact now on so many people. Yes, yes. Uh, there's something about the time when the works, his works, when the when the time passes, they have this yellowish cover onto them. Maybe because of the varnish, I don't know. But it it takes me back to the villages I used to travel when I was a kid. It's so familiar. It's so Brazilian. Uh, that's why it's so uh, magical. I think. Yeah. Well, you're magical, Paulo. You are just. This is so it's such a beautiful conversation, and me and Rob are like in a. We're really enjoying this. Is just. So zen, isn't it, Rob? It's wonderful. Yeah, I'm oh. super inspired. Thank um, you. So we ask every guest two questions. The first is, if you could do an imaginary art heist and take home any artwork from anywhere in the world, what artwork would you choose? Big question. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I would bring home Johannes Vermeer, a lady with a jar she's pouring milk yeah uh, yeah maybe that one maybe a jar so high. i do i need to pick one yeah. you can pick more if you want, if I, you want lately to, i'm really up for like as many heists big, as possible big, big, big theft <laughs> oh, a big yeah. theft oh no that's easy i'll take all the piero della francesca's from the british museum i from, oh. from the national gallery i'm sorry uh the natività the first one uh, Georges Seurat, big lake with people standing. That's that's it's perfect for my living room. Also, the studies. Oh, Sunday in the park with George, that one. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 
and also, oh my. Uh, and I would travel all the way to Japan and take the Rinjiro Hasegawa's. Rinjiro Hasegawa oh, wow. is a painter I recently discovered, and it's so hard to find anything of him online. I would have to steal it. Amazing answer. Yes. What is your favorite color, Paola? Terracotta. I love that. Yes, of course it's terracotta. Yes, but red, really warm terracotta, and also the more vanished ones, like pinky terracotta. I would dress myself all in pinky terracotta if I could. <laughs> like a plant pot. I love that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the plant pot person. What's the best advice you've ever received um, with regards to your art and creativity? Do your work and don't worry about the reception of other people. Just do what you believe and what you love. You do your work for yourself, not for others. That's the most important thing to me. Amazing. Yeah. So what's coming up for you, Paola? What, what, what are you working towards now? Can you say where this exhibition is going to be next? Yes, uh, I'm taking over the Brussels space of Mendes Wood. So I'm painting a lot and the show will be called Cristalino Segredo, which it's not that beautiful in English, but it's like a crystal clear secret. It's the name. Uh, and it's about... Yeah, I cannot tell. It's a secret. Uh, but all sorts of themes. I'm, I'm gathering landscapes and also uh, folk uh, themes, such as uh, forró is a dance we have in my, in my state, the most popular dance. I'm painting a forró with all, a lot of people dancing. Uh, there are beautiful things coming, I, I hope. When is that? Uh, at the beginning of June. Great. Okay. Maybe we'll pop over and do a tour cart destination tour to come and see your that work. That would be great. Thank you so much. It has been such a privilege to speak with you and spend this hour with you. I've just loved it. I'm really inspired by you, Paolo. I just think um, you're incredibly self-possessed and you I'm really 24. do. I know that's what incredible. I was about to say. Like yeah. You're 24 and you have such a drive and purpose and you really are like generous and helping other people through the work you make like I just feel like the precision and passion you have is second to none and it, I'm really grateful to have met you because I, I remember meeting you in London very briefly but we I immediately was like god you're a really special person like thank you for doing this with us I'm very grateful oh, the, the pleasure is all mine thank you uh I'm very honored to be here thank you oh and you can follow Paula on Instagram what is your Instagram handle it's Paula and the line and siebra <laughs> easy Great. If, if, if you dm she will only check it once a week you yes do that. not expect <laughs> me patience. to answer quickly thank you <laughs> the best things in life come slowly exactly come waiting. And, and for everybody uh, listening please go to talk Art and paula's uh, instagrams and we can be posting pictures of everything we're talking about today and we're very yes. excited to speak to you next time and thank you everybody and thank you paula thank we'll you. be back thank very you. soon thank you paula bye, bye.
You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com